Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast. Last time the world was in a serious financial bind, the recession was 2008. How much worse is the current situation? And while governments around the world are talking major tax hikes to begin to address the depth of today's concerns, now, I read one of your pieces um, where you argue tax hikes are not only not the solution, but aren't necessary, if I understand correctly. No, I think that's correct. Actually, uh, when you um, this um, this downturn, of course, is, is worse um, in terms of its depth uh, compared to the 2000 and eight uh, financial crisis uh which uh world growth actually ends up uh, being like minus 1.5% which is uh, pretty serious uh when you take into account that the population grows 2 or 3% so that's a big drop in per capita incomes um this one is worse uh, than that um however the uh the big question which we still don't know is how much the snapback will be uh that will all depend on how how the pandemic evolves over this coming year uh, Etc. But you can now count your dollars. Um, that we uh, in Canada, for example, have now seen a huge increase in our um, in our debt relative to GDP. Uh, in fact, according to OECD numbers, it's gone up by 15 points in just just this this uh, year. And that's actually in, uh, they they had this was based on data in, in April, so they didn't even know the depth of the, <laughs> of the federal deficit. That actually did come out later on in, in, in uh, at a later time, but showed, you know, we have a three hundred and forty-three billion dollar deficit, and even that is low because we just had the government announcing another thirty-seven billion dollar right. uh, expenditure, which is now making it potentially we're getting closer to four hundred billion dollar deficit this just this current year alone. It's, it's just mind-boggling, isn't it? Well, it is, especially when you think of it. it it's more our deficit this year is almost is now more than last year's federal spending. I mean, in other words, it, it's the federal government has more than doubled its spending, or has roughly doubled its spending uh, uh, at this time. So it, it's a huge increase in, um, in, uh, in, in government spending. Now, it will come down because there's a lot of temporary support, um, but it's not going to go down to $20 billion. Uh, We're probably looking at next year, um, after, this, after the March 20. March 31st, uh, 2021, uh, fiscal year ending for the for this current year, uh, for the following year for 2020, for 2122, we're probably going to be looking at uh, at least 100 billion or more uh, deficit that year. I'm sure it's going to be uh, quite a bit, and uh, and in fact, we're looking at deficits now for a very for quite a few years. I think at the, at the at the federal level. Never mind all the provincial deficits that are quite yeah. astronomical as well. So That's we're right. bearing ourselves in debt. Households have huge amounts of debt, and so do corporations. So we are a heavily debt laden country right now, and uh, and that can have very serious repercussions as we start hitting uh, perhaps the the debt limit that the, the world, the rest of the world, won't tolerate anymore. You know, I wonder if there's a real public understanding of the depth of the financial crisis that we're facing, because life largely, so far, COVID accepted, is continuing fairly normally, according to appearances. You know, people go out in their cars, they go to the store, they buy what they need. 
maybe they're using credit more than they did. And uh, as you pointed out, it was already problematic before COVID, with 49% of the Canadian uh, population being within $200 and not being able to pay their bills at the end of the month. But life at this moment still looks reasonably, financially, I don't want to use the word normal, but as close to normal as we can get. What happens if you tear that Band-Aid off and you actually see the reality of the situation? What, is it, what, is, what does it approximate? What are we looking at? Well, I think we're, we're, we are going to be looking at uh, a government that's going, governments, uh, when you include all levels of government, uh, that are going to be really um, uh, facing a, uh, a reconciliation where they're going to need to think about how they're going to handle their fiscal planning over the next number of years. And uh, what's going to probably happen, at least I expect, will be something like after the Second World War, where you're going to have um, uh, growth coming, although after the Second World War, growth was really quite good. We had very good productivity uh, for going right up to 1960, at least. Um, but you had uh, we'll have growth that will, where the debt uh Burden will fall over time relative to GDP, but that's only if you don't allow the debt to get out of hand. And 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 the problem is, and, and the parliamentary budget officers said this just recently, that uh, we are uh, the federal government does not have a sustainable fiscal plan. And of course, if that debt keeps rolling up, as I suspect it will, um, because there is no constraint now in Ottawa about spending. Their view is that low interest rates, no problem having a debt. We'll just keep rolling over the debt forever. That's, that's the same people saying that who said, don't worry about deficits because, you know, they're going to be small relative to growth in GDP. Well, that didn't happen this year, did it? And and so then uh, the question is, what do you do? Do you just print money and let inflation rip through the economy eventually? Uh, or do you uh, raise taxes or do you curtail spending? I, I think the more successful economies, and it's now been shown by a number of economists, especially Alberta Alessina, who unfortunately passed away uh, in, in uh, uh, the spring, uh, but he had shown with his colleagues uh, this tremendous work where, you, where the best fiscal consolidations are usually one where you don't raise taxes, uh, but you keep the line on spending, and, and you try to bring, uh, and so this way you keep the growth in debt down that way, and uh, that I think is really the 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 approach that we're going to need. I think yeah, the Jim Flaherty model. Yes, it is. It is the uh, Harper Flaherty model, which they did after the financial crisis. But I should say that actually, almost all the OECD countries did that after two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. I've, I've I've published some stuff earlier on, but I went through uh, the OECD. We had you know there's a nice diagram we showed, but you can see that the tax-GDP ratio by 2017 was no different than it was in 2007 before the financial crisis hit. Yeah. Professor Mintz, I have a... tax policy, but, you know, that wasn't, you know, that's a different matter. Yeah, I have about a minute left. Is our form of government... I'm, I was going to ask you whether you expect the uh, spending to become uh, more vigorous, but I think you already did that. Is our form of government changing or governing changing in front of our eyes with the manner in which Mr. Trudeau is manipulating parliament not just now but since the pandemic was declared uh well i think so i mean we're now seeing a government that uh, you know prorogued parliament because they didn't want to get questioned over their scandals uh we also see that they are going to try to change the agenda by having a an approach coming out in in the fall that we're going to completely transform econo- the economy but they have no 
political, um, let's say, agreement to that. I mean, in other words, we elected them not on that basis. We didn't elect them to transform Canada tremendously. Uh, and I think he, he he needs to come to the you know to to the public with that. But what really worries me the most is that uh, instead of building back better, we're going to build we're going to build back worse. Uh, and that's because of I suspect we're going to see uh, a lot of increases in in cost due to regulations and 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 looking at looking at objectives right now where what people really want is to get back to work and and to and to be yeah. healthy. Yeah. Those should be the two priorities, I think. Absolutely. Because over the next four weeks plus, as the prorogation continues, I believe that there is now a stage for the new conservative leader to make inroads. Catherine Swift is with us. Um, you know Catherine so well. I was thinking about you a few minutes ago when I was talking to Matthew Fisher. And uh, just just on the side here, Catherine, we were talking about journalists, about um about Alan Fotheringham and Christy Blatchford. Yep. And I was saying, telling the studio crew, you know, I have the same respect for Catherine in the world of politics and business as I had for Christy in the world of journalism. And you're both very similar. <laughs> I think you're both very similar. You're well, both, I knew, you're both I don't. Christy, of course, and uh, yeah. we had some capers together. Uh, some of which will remain. <laughs> but neither one of you takes detours in getting to the truth and getting to the end of the getting to the goal. Well, yeah, you have to give Christy credit. She never minced words, and she was uh, straightforward and had a wonderful way with words too. Actually, she wrote beautifully, and yeah, we miss her because she also yes, was indeed. a voice that I think was kind of an every person voice. Uh, an awful lot of people from different walks of life, and you know, different. P- political persuasions uh, really related to Christie, and that was a credit to her. So yeah, absolutely. Her and Fotheringham also. He was a he was a unique cat as well. <laughs> I'll never forget so, him calling Ottawa the town that fun forgot. <laughs> and I've lived in Ottawa, and he was. That's a great line. Right. <laughs> what a great line. So here we are, hours away from the uh, revelation of who the new Conservative Party leader is going to be. Uh, you're a member of the party. I should also let people remind people that it's WorkingCanadians.ca, where you can follow Catherine and her endeavors. WorkingCanadians.ca. So, uh, as a member of the party, and you know that Linda and Michelle and I wanted you to run, but anyway, as a as a member of the party, do you have an idea? Who do you think is going to win? Well, it is it is uh, close from all indications, and Andrew Shear. I mean, that would be the the quote you had earlier there, Andrew, saying that it was too close to call, um, and that would be the also the gracious thing for him to say. And I have to say, I've met, I've met Andrew Shear on many occasions over the years, and he's a gracious man. And I, but I think to your point, Roy, I think you were right. I I don't think he ever had total comfort in that role, and I no. hate to say it. But I think he was far too moral a man to be a politician. Do you know, you know, I have to tell to you this. I don't know if I've ever said this on the air or not. I, I, I never pull back when I, uh, when I want to ask a politician a question. If I think that they're dodging or running away from something and I want to get an answer, then I will, I will push until I get it. Got so uh, interesting one day that Jack Layton stormed out of the studio in fury and, uh, and then came back a few minutes later. But, uh, I ne- there were times when I spoke with Andrew Shear where I almost felt like putting on the brakes because I, I hate to say this, I almost felt a little sorry for him. Yeah, yeah. No, he was, 
Yeah, he, 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 he didn't have a thick enough skin or, you know, whatever you want to call it. And mind you, Trudeau has never come on the show with you, has he, Roy? He's never. always whipped never. out. Never. Always whipped out. Anyway, and the other, and the, the, and the three preceding um, liberal prime ministers did. It, well, yeah, you've had, you've had most of them on over the years. Yeah, but yeah, The last Trudeau, six or seven in a row. Trudeau, yeah. is, Trudeau frankly, one. in my view, is a coward. In any situation where, you know, he might actually have to do something hard work and courageous, he wimps out every single time. So that doesn't shock me, sadly, but it's, uh, it's a, not a good trait in somebody who purports to be a leader. So, and Catherine, anyway, how does... Back to the race. Uh, yeah, let, 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 let me just ask you this question before I forget, because I'm going to forget it, and I need to ask you. Yes. How does the new leader immediately have to separate him or herself from the legacy of Andrew Scheer? There's lots of different ways to do that. Frankly, um, they've all put policy. They've all put policy papers on the record. Uh, naturally, that, that and those are broad brush because in a leadership, you're not going to get into you know minute detail. So I think enhancing those areas um, where they they do differ, perhaps. But you know, Andrew's been sad, and it's not his fault. But he has been a lame duck leader for months, and it's simply circumstances, whether it's COVID and the leadership had to be delayed and yeah, so true. on. So I think, I don't think they're going to have that tough a time distancing themselves because in a way, the party has been distancing itself from Sheer for quite a while now. But in all indications, it does look like McKay is going to end up the victor. And it might, again, it might not be true. There's anything's possible. But if he does, he doesn't have a seat in the House of Commons right now. And I was thinking, you know, Trudeau very deliberately and rudely uh, delayed it horrendously to permit a by-election to happen so that Jagmeet Singh could get a seat in the House of Commons. And I think it was, it was a year and a half after he won, roughly, after he won the leadership of the NDP that Trudeau uh, deigned to call a by-election, which is disgraceful. Frankly, any leader, um, any, any prime minister who has control over the timing of such things, it, it's, it's always been kind of a known, accepted courtesy for them to call a by-election as quickly as feasible to yeah. permit whoever it is, opposition leader, to gain a seat if they don't already have one. Yes. So that would be another judge of Trudeau's character. And by the way, the last day Andrew Scheer was in the House of Commons, Trudeau didn't have the decency to show his face, which was another major uh, character flaw. You know, a, a disgraceful that someone would not have the fundamental decency to at least show up and say, you know, goodbye, you've, you've done service to the people, and I'm going to be a big enough person to acknowledge that. Trudeau was not that big person. Where do you feel that the Conservative Party has to head uh, after tonight, when the new leader is announced and, and uh, national attention will be on the party? What's the first thing they have to do? What can they do in the next four weeks? I think one thing they have to do is convey a convincing vision to Canadians as to how we are going to get out of our current mess uh, post-pandemic in terms of economically, jobs-wise, uh, government debt-wise, all, all of those uh, elements. And, uh, you know, that, that to me, everybody's worried. The bottom line is everybody's worried about their future right now, and very understandably so. So I, I think if they convey that um, convincingly and, and clearly, 
because the Trudeau government has been just spending, spending, spending our money like crazy. And uh, the people that give them credit for that, I think there's nothing easier in the world than writing a check on somebody else's checkbook. It really doesn't take I'd a like lot that. of brains or competence to do I'd that. Like that. And that's all they've been doing. So I think they need to present that alternate vision, something that will capture you know, the interest of Canadians and hopefully manage to encourage people that there there is a positive future for Canada. And one of the key elements of that will be to oppose the so-called green agenda, where, whereby it seems the Trudeau government and Christy Freeland, the, the spanking new finance minister, have said that basically they're going to get rid of an industry that co- contributes about 13 to 15 percent of our gross domestic product, <laughs> bigger than any other sector, which, of course, is the traditional energy. Yeah, sector. they've also, in the last few days, or last week and a half, talked about finally delivering some money to the uh, energy sector. But that, you know, let's see the, let's see the dough. Let's well, see the cash, well, they, right? They, they, we, we know that... That promise was made a long time ago. government does is lie. They Let me ask you this. They're going to do something, and if you bother to check, they never actually do it. I have a two-part question for you. Judge them on their deeds, not their talk. So I think, too, as I mentioned yesterday on the Beauties and the Beast segment, Roy, that they're going to have to consolidate. Whoever wins the leadership will have to consolidate their leadership, which is a purely natural thing. But they don't have much time. (laughs) So they're going to have to But they have opportunity. They have this four-week window that's available to them. Yeah, it's minimal. It's minimal. And again, if Aaron O'Toole were to win, say, he's already got a seat in the House of Commons. But I think McKay, should he win, he's going to need a seat awfully quickly, and he doesn't have control over that. Right. Let me ask you this. It's a two-part question. I have a two-part question for you here. Do you believe, and they're tied together, do you believe, do you expect that we'll be heading for an election this fall? And then part B of that question is, do you feel the conservative politicians nationally receive a fair shake from national media? First of all, I don't think we're going to face an election this fall. Things are very tenuous, though, so it's not impossible by any stretch. But the polls are not favorable to the Liberals right now. They're not favorable to the NDP. Uh, the Bloc is probably the only party because they're actually riding fairly high right now. And of course, they only they only have representation in Quebec. So, but the, the Bloc is probably the only party that uh, might want a fast election. However, uh, lately the NDP has put some, you know, some uh, stuff out on social media and elsewhere saying, oh, we've raised a bunch of money now. We're not, we're not afraid of an election anymore. So you can't rule it out. But I think more likely will be spring, if I had to guess, because I don't think the Liberals want one now. Um, but the, the government could well fall. As we know, throne speech is a confidence vote. So the, the, the government could well fall. I just don't think it's going to happen this autumn. Okay, now... Do conservative politicians receive a fair shake from media? No, no, of course they don't. Of course they don't. I mean, there's been so many examples. And I've always said to people, why don't you watch, and this was in the heart of the, the heat of the pandemic, I said, watch a press conference with Trudeau versus watching a press conference with, say, Doug Ford or Jason Kenney. Tell me they're equal. Because anybody honest will see that the media grills the conservatives which I have no problem with, by the way. I think they should grill everybody. But they let Trudeau away with his cream puff answers to questions, and they never pursue it. What, I, what I've loved on a few occasions, and loved in a perverse way, is the media will ask him a question. If Trudeau doesn't want to answer it, he doesn't say a word. He stares off into space. And the media permits that to happen? 
No, I'm not. I'm not just. I'm not just going to say this. I'm not just going to say this, Catherine, because we're. I'm not saying this because we're affiliated with Global News, but I have seen and I have been proud of the fact that some of my colleagues, uh, my colleagues who question Trudeau, and I'm thinking now about when he was uh, discovered to have been out in public in blackface and brownface, and uh, SNC, and uh, subsequently on uh, on on. I'm trying to think of the other issue that I was. David Aiken asked uh, Trudeau a very, very piercing question, and you could see Trudeau didn't like it. He just, just, oh, no. just did not want to deal with it. But I, I do acknowledge. I mean, I, I, I'm not here to defend anybody, but I will say that some of my colleagues uh, on on Global News, I think, have comported themselves extremely well in dealing with Trudeau on, on questions that he didn't want to answer. Apply to everyone, Roy. No, I, I know, I know. And I'm not playing. Def- I'm not playing defense here. Yeah. I, although I'm going to get emails telling me I did exactly that. Well, there, of course there are exceptions, and you're one of them, Roy, so thank goodness for the people that actually do. Like I say, I, I wouldn't say be light on conservatives. I'd say be critical and... and it's all about being fair. Everyone. You know, it's funny. There was I looked up a clip from Pierre Trudeau, of all things, years ago, when he said his famous Just Watch Me, uh, and it was the Quebec, um, you know, the, the, the separatist uh, crisis and everything at the time. And there was a CBC journalist at that time grilling, grilling Pierre Trudeau. And I thought, wow, at some point, CBC actually did do their job. But no, it's, it's unfortunate the coverage is so imbalanced because the bottom line is Canadians are not being served. Every politician should be put, uh, you know, to the same level of scrutiny, uh, and and uh, it's just not happening. No, okay, sadly. one minute left. And, and everyone's being disturbed. I suspect down the road of peace, we'll look back and say the media, all not all, but much of the media, really performed a disservice to Canadians by the imbalanced coverage they're enacting today. Catherine, I have 45 seconds now. What are the issues? Are there three issues you can tell us very quickly, or one or two, whatever you choose? The opposition parties, all of them, can effectively challenge Trudeau on as soon as Parliament returns. Well, I think uh, uh, there's way more than three, because he's been so dishonest and proven to be dishonest. SNC-Lavalin, Vice Admiral Mark Norman, that was a disgraceful situation, an honorable man who he tried to ruin, and taxpayers ended up having to write a massive check because he had no legal case to do so. Most recently, we. I think the key issue here is this guy lies to Canadians, has done it repeatedly over the roughly five years he's been in power, and he's a dishonest guy. We don't want that in any politician. Thank you for giving us twice as much time as I asked for. Well, Roy, thankfully, you're doubling my pay. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Of course we are. Stand by for the check. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you, Roy. I tweeted earlier, is that Justin Trudeau facing challenges within the Liberal Party? Reprorogation, shutting down parliamentary committees, investigating him for possible conflict of interest breaches, and removal of another out of favorite cabinet minister. At Michelle Simpson and at Gas Price Wizard, Dan McTague, both former Liberal MPs. And I know you got the rest of it. I ran out of characters, but I... That they're both going to be on the show, and they are. Michelle, hi. Hello. Mr. McTague, it's been a while, sir. It has, and hello, Michelle. Hello, it's been too long, Dan. Let's do this again, right now. Yeah. <laughs> you must be politicians. <laughs> I was so insincere. Just... <laughs> An no, we are. Oh, that is real. That's sincerity, right? God, that was bad. 
<laughs> as fast as it gets. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm so glad you're here because it is a very very important issue that's facing this country. And the question is, and I asked uh, Jack Mintz this earlier, the, uh, the economics professor and senior um, member of the faculty at the University of Calgary, is our way of governing being just changed arbitrarily by one individual who sees opportunity and seizes it and just marches forward? And, uh, you know, let, let me ask you, the. I'll get to that question with, with you uh, as well, but... Let me start with this. In 2019, so last year, early, Chantal Hébert wrote a column that suggested highly placed liberals were looking about, looking around for somebody to replace Trudeau. And I think maybe, I'm not sure about this, I think Mark Carney was mentioned in that column, but I, I'm not sure. So was Trudeau in trouble with some liberals in the caucus before the election eight months ago? Michelle? Well, I... I certainly think it's possible, Roy. Uh, you know, I think that uh, initially he was the white knight that was going to save the party. And yes, he did get a majority in 2015, but the luster's coming off. And we're starting to see all the cracks in his veneer uh, that I'm sure Dan knew and I knew were there long, many moons ago. And it, what I witnessed when I was uh, sitting beside him was people fawning all over him, senior liberals. So if they're, if they're people getting tired of him, I'm not sure if they're the young ones or the uh, veterans. Dan, would you speak to that uh, luster coming off the, uh, off the uh, image of <laughs> Justin Trudeau? And, and when would you have first noticed that uh, as a member of the caucus? Well, I think we first noticed that he was going to likely be uh, a force to reckon with potential leadership material at his father's funeral. Um, and many thought it was a great, wonderful speech, a eulogy, if you will. Uh, and that, really, that was sort of the beginning of what would be, you know, generations forward, uh, uh, how the Liberal Party would see its, uh, itself placed in, you know, uh, two or three leaderships down the road, which turned out to be the case. But it, knowing him, and I, you know, I, not just myself, and just Michelle, but Many other uh, MPs were were were, were rather in, taken aback by uh, just the lightweight that he was, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. It's just that we didn't think he was leadership material. Yes, he had the hair. Yes, he had the, the age, um, and and certainly had the name. But beyond that, there wasn't a whole lot there that you could sort of sink your teeth into and say, "This is somebody who made it on his own. This is somebody who would you know rally Canadians to." Uh, a vision uh, of the Liberal Party uh, in the future. It turned out, of course, I, all of us were wrong. Uh, he did have a vision. The vision was to go far left, outflank the NDP, lose a lot of Liberals along the way, but gain a lot of new Democrats, and uh, and, and certainly resonate on a particular generational, you know, tone that uh, overwhelmed, I think, the the Conservatives under under Harper after ten years of being there themselves. But I think what's happened here is that there's right now wide recognition. Uh, there's something not right with him, and that there is something that is off in the way in which he conducts himself. He's an autocrat. He doesn't like dissent. Uh, he obviously doesn't think rules apply to him, uh, and Canadians are starting to see that. I mean, we can talk about whether the rules are properly applied, whether the fine, the penalties are sufficient. Save up until Canadians start to recognize that there's a problem here. Uh, he can continue to govern with impunity in, in a very autocratic fashion. And what he did last week, not just firing Bill Morneau, and I don't think we've heard the end of that, uh, but also then proceeding with proroguing Parliament because he knows 
uh, absolute heat is on him, it, it seems to me that he's really playing out his last cards. And that's, uh, no one likes me anymore. I don't want them to find out anything more about me. Uh, so I'm going to do whatever I can to obfuscate right to the last second. And, uh, yeah. you know, uh, good, good on him, uh, but not good on the country. Michelle, is he just, does he have a strategic vision or is he just clever enough to recognize opportunity when, when the debate shifts? I would have to say he's the latter. He's an opportunist. I don't think he has a strategic mind. As Dan said, there wasn't a lot of there there. I use the old expression, a lot of fizzle, but no stake. And that's yeah. something that I always witnessed. And, you know, people can say what they like about me, but I'll tell you, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of substance. And so and to me, there wasn't a lot of um, brain power. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I don't know how else to yeah. put it. You know, he, look, uh, no, no one thought he was a heavyweight. Um, and, and that's not to, you know, to, to slight anybody. I don't think myself is a heavyweight except when it comes to uh, how I look these days. But, you know, frankly, for him, one would have expected greater things. And on the issue of accomplishments, on the issue of rallying the country, of uh, doing things differently, all the things he said he was going to do never materialized. Uh, there are a couple of controversial issues that he has moved forward on. I don't think we need to discuss those. But I am absolutely flabbergasted that there is still a significant coterie of Canadians out there who will defend him, especially in eastern Canada, at the drop of a hat, and uh, not take stock or inventory of the fact that he's really ruined the country financially, socially, economically, and politically. I think we are more divided as a country now than we have been at any point going back to 1995. Yeah, I can't recall, other than under his stewardship, that we've had six premiers. Yes, they were conservative premiers. But we've had six premiers write an open letter accusing the Prime Minister of Canada of creating this national dissent. I've never seen anything like that before, ever. So given, uh, Dan and, and Michelle, given the fact that we very easily, all of us in Canada, can say, yeah, Jody Wilson-Raybould, gone. Uh, Jane Philpott, gone. So the Attorney General, Minister of Justice, and Health Minister, stars, gone. Uh, Bill Morneau, uh, Finance Minister. One day he's Finance Minister, and next day he's hopefully headed, he says, to the OECD. With all with that turmoil, does that not are there not people within the caucus who are loyal to these individuals? And would that loyalty over time extend to a potential palace coup against Mr. Trudeau? Michelle, let me start with you on that. Well, I think all leaders are subject to coups as sooner or later. Um and but I have no trouble believing that that could be the case with Mr. Trudeau. Um he certainly has not displayed any loyalty, and to get it in return is uh, would be quite the feat. Uh, I hate to say this, but in in certain traits, he resembles Donald Trump to me. He has certain of the is certain traits that they share together. You feel you feel, do you feel that way, Dan? I, I think so. I. My my biggest observation was one where uh, we did have a, if you will, a palace coup when there was a fight between Paul Martin and, and Jean Chrétien. You covered that very well, Roy. We recall doing many interviews. And it, it seemed to me that at that time the party uh, had been and was divided. Uh, but there was always that 
sort of underlying heir apparent. And there was the loyalists to the palace, and there was those leading the coup or part of the coup and uh, part of the new group. Um, this isn't uh, obvious to Trudeau, and that's only because he made sure from the outset that those around him would be absolutely loyal beyond uh, beyond anything, and that every one of them you know, would not present any kind of challenge to him whatsoever. And those who have done so out of integrity haven't shown the door. Uh, so I would have to say that on that score, uh, he isn't somebody who tolerates anybody who, dis, you know, who dissents, uh, who takes a different opinion than him. Very different, by the way, his father, who I had the privilege of working for generations before as a much younger intern in the Liberal Party. But I can tell you that what is perhaps more alarming for Liberal members sitting today is understanding that there is no heir apparent and that he has not cultivated a successor. And all he can say, as much as he wants to, and some will believe it's Chrissy or Freeland, the fact is that she is too much uh, of a uh, toady uh, to Mr. Trudeau. She is too much like Trudeau to be able to separate herself, to distinguish herself from this terrible legacy of an autocratic leader. And for that reason, uh, I think the Liberal Party is bereft of any future leadership potential, and it may be a long time before they see government again once the next election takes place. Just a prediction. Michelle, are you concerned about uh, the state of government in this country? Uh, are you concerned that maybe it is being altered and shifted and uh, and for some period of time? Actually, I am very concerned because I do see the shift. It's always been the case where the girls and boys in the short pants in the PMO basically threw their weight around, and that's true of any party. But this is, to me, uh, a little more, I don't know if sinister is the word, but certainly I, I have the feeling of being, as a Canadian, uh, manipulated beyond anything I'd experienced before. We too start to have to pay for it as well. Michelle's spot on. Uh, this is not the same group that we've seen in previous liberal caucuses or liberal leaderships. And I take my stuff right back uh, to the you know, late 70s. Um, there's no way in the sun you can compare uh, what this guy has done with the people around him. And it's always the same group of people that seem to continue to resurface. The Katie Telfords, the Gerald Buses. Yes, I know some of them have left, Gerald in the case. But they're still back pushing the same disastrous programs, the same kind of divisive rhetoric, the same kind of us versus them, conservative versus liberal, uh, left-wing versus right-wing. It's just not leadership. And in fact, when you mix that in with the scandal for the third time, which the Prime Minister is trying to suppress, it is really time for, I think, liberal members of Parliament to lead a rebellion against this guy and throw him out before they do damage to the party and leave themselves out of office for the next 10 to 15 years, because that's what where they're heading for. Uh, mm-hmm. Once the NDP gets its act together, and I suspect someday they will find some courage and uh, redefine themselves so the Liberals don't steal all of their left-wing policies, you may very well find uh, we're back to where we were before, the Liberal Party in the centre, NDP at the left, and the Conservatives at the centre-right. Michelle, you agree? Absolutely. Dan is spot on. Well, uh, for for all of us here, I think it's the bigger concern is that as liberals, we didn't join another party. We simply walked away from this party because it's not what it was. And I think a lot of Canadians have to recognize that. You mentioned uh, Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin, and I did cover that, and I covered it in detail. Yep. And Paul Martin actually came into the studio, sat with me for two hours, 
two hours, when he was on the so-called apology tour for AdScan. And, and I said to him off the air, I said, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? This isn't really your fault. It's the other guy and his crew. Why are you doing this? And I don't remember exactly what he said to me. And I, I put this on my uh, commentary the other day on Friday. But I had the sense, I'm trying to remember what the answer was. And we don't have an audio tape of it. But I just had this sense and I seem to recall him saying something like, I needed to talk to Canadians. I needed to, I needed to do what I'm doing. And he took phone calls and he took it on the chin. Yeah. And I had a, just an ultimate sense of decency of, of Paul Martin. And while I was all over Kretschian for however many years he, well, how long was he in power? Kretsch, long time. Uh, 10 years, 12 years? 93. Yeah. 93 to 2003. Yeah. yeah. 10 years. Uh, I, I still had a sense that he was the Prime Minister of Canada. With Justin Trudeau, I have no idea what's going on. None. Right, I, you know, one of the first times you and I, um, I had to do a mea culpa with you. I was going to vote with John Nunziat against the budget because it contained the GST. We weren't going to scrap it. Uh, I got in a lot of trouble because I backed down. The main reason why I backed down was simply because Paul Martin came up to me and said, you don't need to do this. You know that if you do that, you'll be kicked out of the caucus and your, your career will come to a quick end. Let me handle it. And he did. And he went out and apologized and said, I take responsibility for this. So, you know, for, for a lot of us, uh, that showed tremendous leadership and deference and willingness to, you know, to listen and to work with uh, a very yeah. eclectic variety of liberal members of parliament from various yeah. diversities, the big tent, not the pup tent that uh, Michelle keeps talking about. That's so right. There was a sense, and we only have a few seconds here. By the way, I was only kidding when you said when I said you were insincere. I just it was a line I had to use. It was it presented itself. It was like an open net. I couldn't walk away from that. Good one. <laughs> I had to take the shot. Uh, but uh, there was a sense about Paul Martin that he was just a decent person, and I think you got that from all political spectrums that he was just a good guy, a good person, a principled person. Whether you agreed with him or not on, on liberalism didn't matter. But I thank you both. For, for joining me today, and uh, you've always been outspoken, you all speak your minds, and, which is me repeating myself. But thank you so much, and we I know we're, we have a lot more to talk about going forward. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. Oh, Thanks, thank Roy. you, Roy. Take care, Michelle. Okay. And Dan McTagg showed a lot of courage. He did, uh, he, when he changed his mind about not voting for um, uh, with the government, he came into the studio the very next day. And still there, Dan? Sorry, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you took it on the chin, and I appreciate that. Take care, yeah. my friend. Take care, right. Aaron Woodrick joins us on the show, federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And um, we want to talk to Mr. Woodrick about the uh, Governor General and her spending. And <laughs> just, I don't know, sometimes it just boggles the mind what you see going on in the nation's capital. Aaron, what do you make of Mr. Trudeau as Prime Minister? What, how, how would you how would you assess the job he's doing? Well, look, uh, we're a group that's worried mostly about the spending and the and the taxation, and I, I you know give him a low grade on that. And I have to say, in terms of his political troubles, um, if you, if you know if this government was a hockey team, most of the goals against them would have been them putting the puck in their own net. I mean, almost all of their, right. their troubles and wounds are self-inflicted, whether it was Aga Khan, whether it was small business tax changes, SNC-Lavalin, and now the WE scandal. I mean, these are all things that they have done to themselves. They have no one to blame but themselves. 
And, uh, you know, other parties just benefit by the fact that government continues to make itself look foolish. Yeah. I used to call it self-inflicted gumshot wounds. <laughs> well, yeah, that's probably true. But you wonder how much, uh, you know, how much more bleeding this government can stand. As you said, they already lost the popular vote in the last election. It's, people got to remember that. I mean, they won the most seats because of the way they're spread out. But they got fewer votes than their opponents in the last that's election. That's right. So The lowest be- popular vote of a winning party in a federal election in the history of Canada. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they, they don't have a lot of, of, uh, of political capital to burn. But now we see, um, you know, with a new finance minister, I'm, I'm a little nervous about uh, Krista Freeland's views on spending. She seems to be, uh, you know, if you can believe it or not, Bill Morneau was the, was the tightwad in, in the Trudeau government. So, you know, he's running $30 billion deficits, and he's supposedly the fiscal hawk. I got it. So, yeah. so that's, uh, that's uh, you know, a little bit disconcerting if you're concerned about uh, the bottom line. It's defensive laughing that you're hearing from me. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to talk to you about the Governor General, but before we do that, I'd like your thoughts, because I know you've spoken out on this. SNC-Lavalin being granted 142, I think it's government, I think it's 142, government contracts since January of 2019, not worth a tremendous amount of money as far as government contracts are concerned, that many of them, 25 million bucks. But given what preceded it, it's, it's just stunning to me that they'd even get that. Yeah, I mean, they, they, I mean, let's be clear, they didn't, there, there is a rule, the whole reason SNC-Lavalin want wanted one of those DPAs um, for for their uh, for their corruption charges was because if they were found guilty they would have been barred from for ten years bidding on anything. Um, yeah. They they weren't found guilty in the end. There was a special deal, and so they got off anyway. Um, but I do think that the government, just the optics of it, and frankly, the government should have been tripping over itself to uh, publicize all the details to to make absolutely crystal clear everything was above board because otherwise. It once again looks like, you know, people aren't paying attention. It's just, it's a bad look. And I just don't think the government is doing itself any favors by, by not sort of proactively getting it out there. No, and, and so now Bill Morneau says he wants to go and head the OECD, but the OECD uh, itself was investigating the, the, the facts around the SNC scandal with, with Trudeau. So well, I mean, that'll the, be great for a job interview, wouldn't it, Roy? They, they can talk. They, they can both talk about a topic they're familiar with. Oh my goodness! So let's so let me get some thoughts from you as the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation about the Governor General and her spending. Now we just found out that uh, she delights in taking a Challenger jet from Ottawa to Montreal, so she can get to her Laurentian cottage a little more easily than uh, you know the average Joe and Jane. And uh, and just the spending has just been um, it's been well. It's been unreal. What, what yeah, do you make of it? What do you say? It, it's it can be, it's pretty jaw dropping to be honest. And I say that as someone you know we have a lot of fun poking fun at people who waste money in in amusing ways. In fact, you know one of our favorite targets had been a governor general Adrian Clarkson, and we did not think anything could top what she had done in the past. But some of this stuff takes the cake. I mean, you're talking they spent over a hundred thousand dollars, Roy, on the design for a staircase, which was never actually built. They didn't even build the staircase, and it still cost more than a hundred thousand dollars. And then, and the latest leaks news that she is essentially using the private jet, you know, as a shuttle between her cottage and her residences at the drop of a hat. Um, and I think maybe the most damning thing of all here, Roy, is all of this information is coming out from people who worked with her because they, you yes. know, there, there are people inside government. I love reading these stories because it's actually encouraging that, you know, everyone in, in her security detail and all of her staff seem to understand wasting taxpayer money is bad. Uh, but the Governor General herself does not understand this. And, um, you know, if this continues, frankly, it's starting to get to the point where you wonder if she, if she can even stay anymore. Yeah, can we afford her for a full year? 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Really, and 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 we should remember that. And I don't want to keep pointing the uh, the needle at Trudeau, but he appointed her as governor general. He didn't go through the usual vetting process. Yeah, he did. At the end of the day, this has to be on on him. And you know, you, you recall at the time there was a lot of talk about how she ticked the right boxes in terms of their imagery. Well. You know, some other important boxes are things like being prudent with taxpayer money, um, enjoying a job where you interact with the public. That's the other interesting thing about these stories. It seems like all of her hang-ups are about wanting total privacy and not wanting to see anyone. Well, that's tough to do when part of your job is to, you know, meet and greet Canadians and do ceremonial <laughs> duty. So it, it, it seems like not, not the most obvious personality fit, uh, you know, right, right No, and that's not the job you should be accepting. Well, it, it is. And, you know, it does. The prime minister has to wear it because at the end of the day, it is up to him. People have been asking questions about, well, if you had to remove her, how could you do it? Uh, you know, normally these things are arranged, uh, you know, carefully, just as we saw with with Minister Morneau and 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 the prime minister. But at the end of the day, it would actually be up to the queen, is the only one who has the actual formal power. Yeah, but she's got her own problems with Andy. Yeah, <laughs> she's a bit busy too. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. Again, it's a defensive mechanism. You're either going to laugh or you're going to cry or you'll talk to Aaron Woodrick, who puts it all in perspective. Uh, Taxpayer.com, right? That's right. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 